Let me just begin by saying good morning again. My name is Thomas Settles, and I serve as our uh, pastor here at Calvary, and we are so thankful uh, to be able to be together. But I think I'm a little bit more excited uh, this morning uh, because we are starting a new uh, series on the Gospel of Luke. Um, I think we, we did John maybe four or five years ago, and we were there about 10 months, but I'm, I'm looking at it, and we may, we may be here for a while. It's going to be good. It's going to be really good. Uh, before we jump into our sermon, though, I want to give just three uh, points uh, to, to re-clarify or to, to repeat for announcements. Uh, each week, we have a weekly email that goes out. It's super important for you guys to, uh, to fill out the information card because it gives us an opportunity to be able to connect with you. Uh, on last week, there was a survey uh, that went out. And uh, super important for you to fill it out. It's going to ask you some questions about uh, small groups, uh, Sunday school, and also uh, down the road, we are praying about doing a second service. So um, please take the time to fill it out. I want to know uh, how we can better serve you as a, as a church family. Uh, we love Sunday morning worship, but we want you to be able to uh, get in smaller groups, whether it's a Sunday school or a home group or a cell group, so that you can continue to connect and go deeper in your relationship with Christ. You cannot just do it on Sunday morning by yourself. We need to do life together. So if you are interested uh, in any of those things, please check. You'll be able to check multiple ones, and it'll give us a better idea of how we can serve you uh, as a church body. On next Sunday, immediately following church, uh, we are going to uh, launch our young adult ministry. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about it in the, uh, in the service on next week. Uh, some people may be thinking, what is young adult? Basically, we didn't want to call it college because everybody's not in college. Uh, some people have graduated college. So we're thinking 18 to 30, whatever. Just come on next week. <laughs> uh, so immediately after the service, we'll have a meal um, and we'll have some, uh, some snow cones. It'll be a fun time. And we want to just use it as an opportunity uh, to connect with, with, uh, with any young adult of our church. Uh, you do not have to sign up, but we do uh, ask that you bring somebody with you. I think it'll be a blessing, and we're excited about uh, that time together. Uh, this morning, we want to turn our attention just to Luke chapter number one, and we want to read verses one through four, only four verses for us this morning. Luke chapter number one, verse number one simply declares, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those uh, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely from some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Let me read verse 4 one more time. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Uh, this morning, I want to just give a very brief sermon. Brief is relative. Um, from uh, the subject title, <clears throat> The Background on the Book. The Background on the Book. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for uh, the privilege that it is that you give me uh, to stand, uh, to be able to share your word. Um, God, I, I thank you for a rich book. I thank you for a, a phenomenal text that you're going to give us, um, that's going to help us to grow in our knowledge of you. <clears throat> but God, we don't want to just grow in our knowledge of you. God, we want to grow in our commitment to you. God, you desire for us to know you, 
more deeply, but you also desire for us to follow you more closely. God, I pray that as we are walking through the gospel of Luke, God, that we would have two things on our mind. How can I know Christ? How can I follow Christ? How can I put some some feet to my faith? How can I be the arms and the legs of Christ? God, we thank you that the, the message is definitely personal, God, but it's not one that we need to keep private. God, so help us to see how to live out our faith. We love you and we thank you. In this your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> There's an sh- extremely familiar book uh, by the author Jim Collins, and the book is called uh, From Good to Great. Now, the author opens up the book by simply saying that good is the enemy of great. And that is one of the key reasons why we have so little things in our life that become great. He says we don't have great schools principally because we have good schools. Or we don't have great government because we have good government. Or we don't have great churches because we have good churches. We don't have great marriages because we have good marriages. He says few people attain great lives in large part because it is just so easy to settle for a good life. I love the book of Luke because the gospel writer does not start by committing to sharing a good account of the life of Christ. But Luke begins by putting all his cards on the table and he says, I want to do something more than just good. I want to do something great for God. He's essentially saying, I'm not going to settle for giving an account that's good. He's saying, I want to give something that God would say is great. If there was um, an opportunity here uh, to say anything, let me say it this way. I just wonder how different my life would be. I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to me. I wonder how different Thomas Settle's life would be if I made the simple commitment to not just be good, but to pursue things that God would determine is great. I wonder how different my life would be if I were to wake up with the commitment Lord, I want to offer you something great today. I think sometimes when when preachers use the word offering, we immediately think about money. But when I'm using the word offering, I'm not speaking at all about anything monetary. When I think about offering something to God, I'm speaking about a life and a lifestyle that brings honor and glory to God. I'm speaking about after the sermon is over. I'm speaking about after you leave the church property. I'm speaking about a life that reflects the honor and the glory of Christ. I'm speaking about Romans 12:1 when it simply says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers or sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. That's what God desires. If you want to live a great life, if you want to move from good to great in your life personally, it's going to require that you live a life of sacrifice to God. Speaking about in a way where we live in view of God's mercy, and I'm speaking about uh, living in a way where we are living in response to God's grace. As we approach the gospel of Luke, we need to remember that the gospel of Luke is distinct in its offering. 
we need to remember that all four Gospels have a distinct focus in their writings. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all begin with a unique way. Uh, Matthew stands out and starts by giving us the genealogy of Jesus. He traces uh, the life and lineage of Jesus back to Abraham. In Mark, you have an action-packed, fast-paced Gospel. You go from the baptism of John to the baptism of Jesus to the temptation of Christ in the wilderness to right in to the public ministry of Christ. Uh, John's gospel begins with a theologically rich statement that we need to consider. John 1.1 simply says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I can't even, I don't even have time to, to go into John 1.1, but I just wanted to read it because it's so good. When you think about the four Gospels, Luke gives us a totally different introduction to his Gospel. Unlike the other three, the Gospel of Luke does not kick off with a genealogy. It does not kick off with some fast-paced sequence. It does not uh, kick off with a, a powerful, poetic moment, but it begins with something more akin to a sticky note. He begins the text by telling us who wrote it and why he wrote it. He begins by telling us very simply that he is giving a dedicated book to a man by the name of Theophilus. In the first four verses of the book, we learn the name of the first reader of the book, but we also catch the standard in which the book is written. From reading the entire Gospel of Luke, the tone of the text leads us to believe that, that Luke was a people person. He was concerned about people coming to know Christ. Uh, when we think about the gospel of Luke, we need to understand that his gospel uh, is consistent with the others, but it is very distinct uh, when you look at it. When you look at Matthew, for instance, Matthew established Jesus as a legitimate heir to David's throne. In Matthew, Jesus is portrayed as the king of the Jews, and he's portrayed as the long-awaited Messiah. Mark presents uh, Jesus as a no-nonsense God-man who came from heaven to give his life as a ransom. Uh, John emphasizes the, the Christological deity of Jesus, uh, so much so that it is clear that Jesus is is the Son of God. But when you get to Luke, when you get to the physician's statement, you see that Luke's gospel is communicating to us that Jesus humbly and compassionately connected with our humanity. I want to say that again. The gospel of Luke, probably more so than any other of the gospels, communicates that Jesus humbly and compassionately connected with our humanity. Luke reveals that God was so moved by his love for us that God made himself vulnerable to us so that he could connect with us. Not just those who are in the church, not just those who have it all together, not just those uh, who have all the right sayings, but, but when you look at the gospel of Luke, there is a universality of the gospel. It gives us a picture of a broader scope and a broader depth that, uh, that the other gospel narratives do not have. 
In the Gospel of Luke, you see the uh, specific addressing of women. You see the addressing of children. You see the addressing of the sick, the poor, the rich, the outcasts. You also see uh, the addressing of foreigners. How do we deal with foreigners? I cannot wait to get to that passage. Because we live in a day and time where we've forgotten what Jesus has told us concerning how we deal with those who are not with us or not from where we are from. When you look at the text, Luke gives us a scope that addresses every group imaginable. And when Jesus addresses the groups, we see that Jesus doesn't change the message based upon the group. He doesn't give one message to the rich, one message to the poor. He doesn't give one message to those who are in the church and those who are outside. He gives one consistent message, and that is he is here to seek and to save that which has been lost. To be lost is not something that is bound by a certain group of people. To be lost is not something that is reserved by a certain class of people or a certain ethnic group. But Jesus came to reach the whole world because the whole world was lost. Before I get into my points this morning, I'm going to ask a very simple question. Uh, When you think about the gospel message, when you think about Jesus coming to die in our place for our sins, when you think about that message, who would you say is most in need of hearing the gospel message? Think about that. In your life, who needs to hear the gospel the most? Is it the atheist? Is it the Muslim? Is it the person struggling with alcohol? Is it the person struggling with addiction? Is it the person sitting next to you? Is it the person who didn't come to church today? Or is it you? If you think... Anyone is more in need of hearing the gospel than you, then I have a problem with you. If you think that those people, that they, you fill in the they with whoever, if you think they are more in need of the gospel than you, then your attitude reminds me that you've never really either heard the gospel or accepted the full scope of the gospel message. I want to make a bold confession this morning. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I'm a chaplain. Yes, I'm a seminary-educated person. But in my life, there are people as needy for the gospel message as me. But there is not one person in my life more needing of the gospel message than me. Like, if you get to the place where you think that they really need it, and we do this all the time. We'll hear a message. It's like, man, I show with such and such was here. I sure wish they had heard this. When in reality, the gospel message is a message that we need to hear. And since Luke understood man's greatest need, which is reconciliation with God, he also understood uh, God's greatest gift, which is salvation to everyone. Uh, Luke says, I want to give an excellent and a formal account of the gospel message. The need was was too great for something haphazard. The need was too great for something uh, inconsistent. But he says, I want to give an excellent account of the life of Christ. Um, We do live in a day and time where we seldom see excellence. We we live in a day and time where we want to give 
average effort, and we want ex- extraordinary results. Um, we are so hurried and hustled in our society that few people ever pursue greatness. If someone asks you for something excellent, we almost think that they are asking for too much, and we get offended because we have lowered our standards so much so that we not only accept mediocrity, but we even expect our lives to be mediocre. We've gotten to this place where if someone uh, wants to do excellent or someone wants to be excellent, we're, we're thinking that they, they, as the young folks say, they're doing too much. <laughs> we think that they, they're going overboard. And in the text, we see uh, that Luke was so moved by Jesus. He was so compelled by Christ. He was so surrendered to the Holy Spirit that he was willing to say, I want to give something excellent back to God. While traveling with Paul, we know this from context, uh, Luke saw communities of believers that were scattered across the Roman Empire. He was an educated man, and he foresaw a problem looming on the horizon. As, a, as the first generation witnesses began to pass away, those who walked with Jesus, as they began to pass away, he understood that he needed to preserve the gospel message so that you and I could benefit from it today. So Luke is moved by the Holy Spirit. He is under the, the, the guise and the leading of the Holy Spirit to give us an, a, a compelling account concerning the life of Christ. I, I love the gospel uh, writers because, yes, they were moved by the Holy Spirit, but God used their personality. God used uh, everything about them to give us what we have today. And when you look at Luke's life, his life is marked by excellence. His life is, uh, is marked by detail. We'll see that over the next couple of months. And I love how his life of excellence and detail gives us an opportunity to see an excellent, uh, an excellent account concerning Christ. The three things very quickly that we see from the first four verses in the text. Number one, we see excellence in its investigation. We see that, that, that Luke was willing to make an excellent investigation. Verse number one says again, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to com- compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. During Luke's missionary travels with the Apostle Paul, he, he encountered uh, a patchwork of oral traditions that preserved uh, the memories of Christ. Uh, these were people um, who knew Jesus personally. These are people who walked with Christ. We must remember that in the biblical days, there was no computer. There was no printing press. There was no email. Uh, thank God there was no text message. Uh, but there was oral tradition. Uh, We get confused by the idea of oral tradition because we're not familiar with how that worked. Um, If anybody's played uh, the telephone game where you um, say it's 10 people in the line and you whisper in another person's ear uh, a story, by the fifth, sixth, seventh person, the story usually is totally changed, right? What Luke is saying is he's saying that this message needs to be passed on, but this message is too important to be messed up. So Luke makes it a personal priority to give a more formal account of Christ. 
Luke did not simply piece together stories, but Luke went out and he checked the facts. In verse number two, there's a Greek word we translate eyewitness, and this word is derived from the word that we get the word autopsy from. It is a term that is only used once in the Bible, but in its full context, it is a word that is used by many contemporaries to tell us the seriousness of what is happening. Uh, there is a, a great historian uh, who was not even a Christian by the name of Josephus, and there were others who used the word often. Uh, in ancient culture, no evidence carried more significance than the testimony of an eyewitness. Now, now you and I, we live in a day uh, where um, people's word does not mean much. We live in a day and time where people will say anything for a click or a repost or to go viral. But in the context of the text, your word could either lead to life or death. Like to, to give false witness about something concerning these matters meant that you could die. This was not something where people were just simply uh, uh, telling what they wanted people to think. This was an accountability that would lead them to death if they were to lie. Luke went out and investigated and interviewed people who knew Jesus, people who spent time with Jesus, people who had heard him snore, people who had heard him um, uh, eat, people who had saw him eat, people who had, who had did life with him. Luke goes out and he gets an opportunity to investigate with those who had precious memories with Christ. What's being communicated here is that this is excellent because he takes the time to properly investigate with those who are willing to speak up for Christ. Just want to pause here. I always like to do this even throughout my sermons before we get to our application. Can we say that concerning Christ and concerning the church, concerning issues in my life, that I am excellent in my willingness to investigate? I know we are excellent concerning um, the roster that UGA has this year. We're excellent concerning certain shows. We're excellent in investigating uh, certain celebrities on Instagram. We're excellent in a lot of things, but when it comes to being excellent concerning Christ, am I bringing the same level of investigation to Christ that I'm bringing to other parts of my life? I mean, can I say that I'm, I'm richly and deeply studying the scriptures, that when I have issues in my life, that I'm not going to my friends, I'm not going online, I'm not going to people who don't know the Lord, but I'm going to the Lord in his word, or I'm going to, going to people who have a healthy relationship with God to make sure that I'm investigating the claims of Christ. Am I going through the motions, or am I bringing excellence into my investigation concerning the things of God. So first, we have excellence in its investigation, but secondly, we have excellence in terms of its organization. Verse number three says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. A good historian does not simply assemble facts and string together stories, but a good historian tells a story for a specific purpose. A good historian knows that everything cannot be added, but a good, a good historian knows that certain things are too important to be omitted. When you look at the Gospel of Luke, the term investigation literally means to follow along to accompany. 
And in addition to sharing the gospel based upon accurate eyewitnesses, Luke takes the time, catch this, to trace the gospel story from beginning to end, and he puts it in context in terms of the overall story of the entire Bible. Uh, Luke's message is not just one where he speaks about um, what Jesus did, but he puts it in context so we can see how Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy. The way Jesus interpreted uh, the Old Testament is the same exact way that Luke does it himself. When you think about Luke chapter number one, I want you to, this week to take some time to read Luke chapter number 24. It, it bookends to give us the context of the, book, of the book. If you go to Luke 24 verse 27, it simply says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures of things concerning himself. This is Jesus. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted uh, as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is not far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? The Gospel of Luke is going to give us an opportunity to take the Old Testament and see how the New Testament is the fulfillment, um, how, how the passages in the Old Testament are not disconnected. Well, let me say it this way. Luke gives us an opportunity to see how the New Testament and the Old Testament are connected together. It gives us a specific opportunity to see how God fulfills his promise through Jesus in the New Testament. The Gospel of Luke will tell us specifically how Jesus is able to give the greatest fulfillment of God's promises. When you look at chapter number 1, verses 1 through 4, and chapter number 24, the two words that, that stand out are two words that are repeated over and over again. And those words are fulfilled and witnessed. The entire gospel of Luke is about God's fulfillment of his promise. It's, it's, a, it's a reminder that we can trust that what God has told us to, that will come to pass will 100% come to pass. So first, we see excellence in its investigation. Secondly, we see excellence in its organization. But thirdly, we see excellence in its demonstration. Verse 4 says that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. While Luke was certainly committed to investigating and organizing, he did not lose sight of the primary purpose, that they may know the truth and that they may be certain about the truth. Because Luke was active on the missionary field with Paul, he knew the importance of an excellent and orderly account. He knew that persecution would come. He knew that times of trouble would come. He knew that believers would need God's infallible, inerrant, and wholly trustworthy word. So he says, I'm going to take some time to demonstrate how Christ is not just uh, the new guy on the block, but how Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise. Luke is an accomplished historian, but he's also a faithful theologian. When you look at uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, the one thing that begins from beginning, the one thing that is consistent from beginning to end is the emphasis on love. 
When you look at the four Gospels, once again, you have a different emphasis. Uh, Matthew's, uh, Matthew's emphasis is royalty. Uh, Mark's emphasis is power. John's emphasis is deity. But the Gospel of Luke's emphasis is love. And what the passage is communicating is that God so loved the world that he was willing to die for that world. More so than any other gospel, we see a universal offering of Christ to the entire world. That is not just for the Gentiles, it's not just for the religious, it is for the entire world. I love Luke because he is not just a historian, a theologian, but he was also a doctor. He, was, uh, he had a profession outside of the church. Uh, he believed um, that, that God had called him to use his gifts and talents and abilities to continue to further the kingdom. If you go to Colossians 4, you'll see uh, that the Apostle Paul um, referred to him as a beloved physician. Uh, he was uh, not just uh, a beloved physician because he was able to heal people. He was a beloved physician because he was a lover of people. He was a person who was willing to submit his ego to God so that other people can be served. And uh, when you think about it, he delighted in people. You see uh, more mentioning of more names of, of gospel, uh, gospel characters in this book than any other book. You have characters like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Martha and uh, Zach- Zacchaeus and Cleophas. Uh, you also see uh, a, a prominent place uh, for women in the text. You see more mention of women in the Gospel of Luke than any other book in the Bible. You see Mary and Elizabeth and Anna and Martha and Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna you have more mention of children than any other book. You see um, how Jesus was, was from infancy growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. You see an emphasis on the poor. You see an emphasis on preaching to those who are the least and the less. You see this picture of the entire world being in need of Christ. And here's the, here's the greatest thing about it. In, in painting this picture of those from different places and different cultures and different times being in need of Christ, it reminds us even today that our greatest need is still the same. The greatest need that you and I have is still in Christ. The greatest need that you and I have will always be found in God's promise. So rather than looking at my differences and looking at the things that separate us, the Gospel of Luke is a book that will remind us of how God has called us to be together under his name. I'm going to stop there because I got like more to go, but I don't want to start something that I can't finish this morning. Uh, Chris, can you come on up? Because we do need to do communion. We missed it last week. When you think about the first four verses of the text, you see something very clear, okay? You see that excellence is important to God, okay? So here's my first point as we get ready to close. We need to remember that excellence honors God. Now, when you hear me say that, please do not think that I am preaching perfection. I'm not preaching to you about being perfect, but I am preaching to you about giving God your best. When you look at Luke's life, or you look at Romans 12, the response to God lets you know how much you care about God. Luke had been so moved, had been so compelled, he had been so impacted by the gospel that he wanted to do something back for God. Not to win God's favor, not to uh, put God in a position where he owed him something, but he says... Because God has done something great for me, 
I want to give something great back to God. So first, excellence honors God. Secondly, excellence holds me accountable to others. Um, Y'all know I serve as a football chaplain, and my mind works um, in in the concept of team. On the football field, you got 11 guys out there. And the reality of it is you need all 11 to be successful. If one guy's taking a playoff, if one guy blows the assignment, if one guy is too prideful to work within the team, the whole team suffers. The same is true in the church. Like, I'm thankful to be the pastor. I'm thankful to to lead us. But, But for our church to be what God has called us to be, we need everybody to be involved. We need everybody to be engaged. We need everybody to give their best. And if if Rachel and Bob and Brother Dunn are giving their best and I'm not giving my best, the church is suffering. If I just kind of show up when I want to, if I kind of do my own thing, if I have an attitude that this is not that important, I'm not going to be excellent because I'm not willing to be accountable to others. So first, excellence honors God. Secondly, excellence holds me accountable to others. And then lastly, excellence helps me stay focused on Christ. When I think about the sacrifice of Jesus, and when I think about Hebrews, when the pastor says, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. When I think about his focus, when I think about how Jesus was willing to endure for you and me, it reminds me that I can endure and focus because of Christ. I can serve my brothers and sisters. I can pray for my brothers and sisters. I can be available. I can take up my cross and bear my burdens and help you bear yours because of the joy that is set before me, because I know what it is going to accomplish. I'm super uh, excited about the next phase of our church because I'm just excited to see what God's going to do in in this series. I'm excited to see how God can make our church even more diverse. I'm excited to see how our church can do a better job of serving those who are the least and the less and those who are poor. I'm excited about digging into some hard passages that are going to make us super uncomfortable, but are going to help us be more like Jesus.